Thought Bubble Audio. Hi and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars of years past. I'm Tim and with me, as always, is my friend whose Italian mother just wants him to get married, Palmer. How are you today? I'm good, Timothy. Oh, well, that's... Why are you so fancy? Because we saw a James Cagney movie. Oh, you're just going to do a James Cagney impression the whole time? A really bad one, apparently. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> who that was for a second. Look, you, you know it's James Cagney, Cagney by the cadence. If I could do a really good Cagney impress, impression, I would, be, I would be making millions on the road. Could you just do your Christopher Walken impression instead? Oh, oopie-doo. <laughs> I want to be like you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We're here to talk about the films of 1956 that were nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. Palmer, generally speaking, what did you think of these films? Uh, one I really liked. Two of them were good. One was okay, and one was just, oh, God. Uh, ooh, I'm looking forward to seeing which one you think is which one. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, the films are as follows. Marty, Mr. Roberts, Picnic, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, and The Rose Tattoo. Palmer, what do you think won Best Picture? Marty. That is correct. It yeah. was Marty. Did you know that already? I did. Oh, okay. How did you know that? Um, Because in a movie that we're going to... Watch next year, um, quiz mm-hmm. show, it is referenced... Next season, you mean? Yeah, next season. Okay. Um, it is referenced several times, and because quiz show was the reason I came up with the concept of this, mm-hmm. it's how I know of Marty. That makes sense to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that, and but after watching these five films, I am not surprised either. Mm, slightly yeah. surprised yeah, yeah, in yeah. some ways. Well, anyway, here we go. Let's start with The Rose Tattoo. Ugh. Directed by Daniel Mann. <laughs> written uh, for the stage and then for the screen by Tennessee Williams and Hal Cantor. Starring Anna, uh, Anna Magnini. Anna Magnini. Magnani. Wow, that's hard. Anna Magnani. <laughs> We're there just going to call her Anna from now. Burt Lat- Lancaster, Marissa Pavan, and Ben Cooper was nominated for picture, supporting actress for Pavan, costumes, editing, and music. It won Best Actress for Magnani, Cinematography, and Art Direction, which we now call Production Design. Right. Obviously. The film is an Ita- about an Italian-American widow, Serafina, who has a miscarriage and over the period of years draws more she is uh, drawn more into herself and she kind of tries to convince her daughter to do the same and her daughter's like no I'm not about that life I'm going to date this guy and then she's like oh no but then a sexy italian truck driver comes to town italian american truck driver comes to town Bert Lancaster and maybe he he shares some passing similarities to her um her husband perhaps not Right? You've you've confused the viewers. Have I, though? Yes. Or it's like they've watched the movie. No, because you said she suffers a miscarriage. Yeah, that's correct. Doesn't she? No, her husband dies. Yes, I know. Then she also has a miscarriage. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Okay. I, I saw the movie, but this... This movie didn't get good until like 40 minutes left. That's exact... No, actually, I disagree. It was a real slog for the first hour... And then when Burt Lancaster came to town... Yeah, that's about... It's an hour into the film. It's an hour into the film when he shows up. That's right. And then when they get to her house, you have about 50 minutes left. And, Mm -hmm. like, that was the good stuff. But before that, like, it was... It was... It was bad. It was a slog. And I watched it a little... I watched the first half a little late at night, so I thought it was just me. So when you said, like, she had a, like, she had a miscarriage, I'm like, well, maybe she didn't because <laughs> I pulled that plot summary off the interwebs. But <laughs> that's not the point because uh, whatever the point is, it was it was a just okay. Tennessee Williams is real hit or miss for me. Cat in a Hot Tim Roof, great. Right. Streetcar Named Desire, fantastic. This one... Not so much. Maybe because there's like there's the those other two movies have a lot of problems 
and complications and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Confrontation mm-hmm. between characters. You don't think this one had one? No. When she was holding on to the priest and she's like, just tell me what my husband said in confession. And he's like, I can't. I can't. Get her off me. I mean, there's a little there and there's a little between Burt Lancaster and her mm-hmm. uh, at the house when she's when like they're both like going crazy on like different things. Yeah. But the biggest the biggest confrontation should have been like her and her cheating husband. And you don't get that because he dies before she finds out. Right. Like she finds out and the the, the and that's kind of when the movie gets good because then it's her gr- coming to terms with whether or not he did cheat on her. Right. But yeah, like I I remember halfway thinking I'm like this is Tennessee Williams, this is the same guy who did Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like two completely different writers. I It's just not honestly it's not it's best. I do think that Anna Magnani is really good though. I think like she's I think she's like she's in a different movie, if that makes sense. She kind of sells it. Even though like there's not a lot to sell, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, but like for what she for the mixed bag that she's given, she like she feel like she feels like an authentic person as opposed to an actress playing a character. Okay, I'll give you that. There was also but I felt the, like her her scenes, especially towards the end, um, consisted of way too much shouting. Sure, I, part of that I think is some of the style of the is part of the style of the yeah. day. She also plays it like she would play it like you'd play it on stage, like it's very melodramatic. Yeah. It's over the top because the people in the back need to hear you. Um, and I don't, it doesn't play on film the same way. Right. I would. I definitely agree with that. That being said, I did like. I think Burt Lancaster's. He's real good. Yeah, he's pretty fun in this. I, I did enjoy like his weird descent into madness. Like his little like, oh, I'm just a nice person. And then he's like, but give me the tattoo on my chest. Like, and then it just like gets worse. From She'll there. love me then. Yeah, I almost wanted to see. I want to see like more of that movie or that story. I, I also like he's haggling. With six dollars, I only have two. Okay, four dollars, but I really only I have two. I really only have two fifty. Fine, but you only get three petals and no stem. He's like, that's okay. I just need the petals because roses and stuff. Right, because that's how you'll know it's a rose tattoo. Right. Well, but the, I know she liked him at the end though. She was like, I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little stem. Right. Yeah. It's all because good. it's Bert Lancaster. That's right. He's so. Precious. You know, I had joked with you that. When I when I was talking to you about what films I had to finish, it was Picnic and this, and I called this one Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I really wish I would have seen Girl with a Dragon Tattoo instead. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is excellent film. <laughs> would recommend David Fincher's, one of David Fincher's <laughs> underrated films. You know, next, I, th- I think we should have swapped it out. Like, it would have just been a better overall movie. It definitely would not have fit into the golden age of cinema. Probably not. Nope. It's a little, it's a little dark. And a little in your face and a little too modern for that. But that's okay. <laughs> Slightly modern. Slightly. Slightly modern. So anyway, so that's uh, that was the road test, too. Let's move on to love is a many splendored thing. Sure. But first, we're going to do fun facts. I'm so sorry. Because I have actual proof that it is a highly rated segment. Okay, great. So, fun facts for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Because there's David no... Fincher had a hard time getting the <laughs> film off the ground because of its content. No, no. That's not right. <laughs> Star Daniel Craig added 15 pounds because he was used to playing Bond, but he, quote, wanted to look like a potato sack. Anna Magini became the first actress to win Best Actress at the Academy Awards... Best Foreign Actress at the BAFTA Awards, and Best Actress Drama at the Golden Globes for her role in this film. Well, there you go. Author Tennessee Williams wrote the role of Sarafina in the 1951 Broadway play for Anna. Her Hmm. English skills were too limited, and Maureen Stapleton played the role instead to great acclaim. Stapleton also would originate the role of Lady Torrance in Williams' Ophius Descending, a role Magini 
also would play on film. I don't think it's Magini. No, that's what I'm going with. Okay, Magnani. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm going with Magini. Orpheus Descending. Yeah. I should check that out. You should. It's got all the fa- <laughs> it's got all your favorite words in it. Orpheus yeah. Descending. Yep. The original Broadway production of The Rose Tattoo by Tennessee Williams opened at the Martin Beck Theater in New York on February 3rd, 1951, ran for 308 performances, and won the 1951 Tony for Best Play. Wasn't a good year for them. I don't know. Maybe the play's better. Maybe it works better on stage. I might work better on stage. It is one of the film. It, it is a film that kind of feels like a stage play in that it's it's a, people. It's a lot of people talking in a room, mm. you know, for extended lengths. But it's also okay. We're in her apartment, and now we're at the church, and now we're back in her apartment, and now we're at outside the church or whatever. You know what I mean? It feels like set pieces yeah. as opposed to f- feeling like whatever. I do think it was well decorated and designed, but mm-hmm. but the story moves like. A play as opposed to um, as opposed to uh, a film. Right. Right. I would agree. Okay. Love is a Many Splendored Thing, directed by Henry King and Otto Lang, written by John Patrick, based on the book by Han Soyin, starring William Holden, Jennifer Jones, Torrin Thatcher, and Isabel Yeldon Elsom. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Cinematography, Art Direction, and Sound Recording. It won Best Costumes, Original Song, and Best Music. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. That sounds about right. This movie had all of those things. It certainly did, didn't it? Yeah. It had one song. Yes. Look, I don't want to hear you complain. The last episode we did, the thing had one song, and you were like, oh, it's great. Can't remember what song it was. I can't remember what movie you're talking about. Yeah, no, neither can I. So how do I know that's true at all? Because I never say stuff that's untrue. That is not and true. That you, you just proved yourself wrong. While you uh, <laughs> while you give us your take, I am actually going to look up the last episodes ones and see if I can remember which. It's just it's been a long time since yeah. we've recorded an episode. But anyway, this movie is about a uh, a. Um, half uh, Chinese and Euro- uh, half Chinese, half European. Uh, you're Asian. Uh, it just doesn't sound. She calls herself a Eurasian. And you're correct in the film from 1955. A Eurasian, half Chinese, half European, descent uh, a doctor, and she falls in love with a married American war correspondent in their time in Hong Kong during China's Communist Revolution. It was Doctor Zhivago. I did have one song. Yes. It, was, it was beautiful. <laughs> No, it had more than one song. It had like four songs. I don't think it did. It was just called, that one one. They're called light motifs when the when the same like little tune, the theme keeps coming back over and over and over again. It was created by uh Richard Wagner, Richard Wagner of opera fame, also anti Semitism fame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Genius, but not a nice person. Fun fact, Leitmotif was my nickname in high school. That's not true. You don't know that. That's true. We did not go to high school <laughs> together. It was not your nickname in elementary school, though. No. No, it wasn't. No. Great. Okay. That was heavy motif. Heavy motif. <laughs> I lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Anyway, so this movie is about their, their love and stuff. It's not good, except for the last seven minutes. Oh, you, sir, are a liar. You know, I knew you would love this movie. I knew you would hate this movie. It's great. It's called Love is a Many <laughs> Splendor Thing. <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be Palmer's favorite movie because it's a because because it's an unrealistic love story. In theory, there's three love stories in this in this year. Four, if you really want to count Rose Tattoo, which I you, do not, which I do not, right? But technically, you are correct. <laughs> but I'm I'm sitting there, I'm like. I'm like, there's three love stories this year. Tim is going to hate this year. I very, I very much liked two of these films. I very much did not like one of these films, The Rose Tattoo. And, <laughs> and I was ambivalent to two others, this being one of them. I think it has a lot going for it in some ways. Like, I think, um, I think, um, Jennifer Jones is, I think Jennifer Jones is excellent, mm-hmm. and she's really good. Actually, even William Holden is good, in compa- especially in comparison to Picnic. Right. Yeah, which is not really his fault. We'll get there. But, uh, and I, I think it's very pretty. The song is very good and whatever. But I don't, 
I was watching it going like thinking like, okay, it's a it's a movie. You know what I mean? I was trying to like lay on like why is this an Oscar nominated movie? Why is this best picture quality apart from the fact that it's filmed in Cinemascope? And like, look, <laughs> it's so pretty, it's so wide. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons too. To me, this screams like classic golden age of Hollywood love story. Yeah, but there's a lot of those that don't get nominated. Right. So what separates this from the others? The last the, seven the minutes. Acting. No, I don't think the last seven minutes, because I would say the last seven minutes I see coming. This and Does, Mr. Roberts. Mm. I, like the endings were like, this, this is how it's going to end. Mm. Um, and I was right. I don't. Hmm, I don't know though, because like you could say, like you you could see the end of Titanic coming, but it's still best picture, right? Right. But I didn't. I didn't think Rose would like kick him off the raft. She didn't. I literally watched it this weekend. She did not kick him off the raft. There was not enough room she was for like, the both of them. She was like, "Look, there wasn't enough buoyancy I'm, on the quarter of a door." She was I'm on. in first class. I don't share this raft. <laughs> It's not a raft. Anyway, not important. So I lost my train of thought. Now I'm thinking I, about trains. And now, thanks. It's not that you can or cannot see the ending coming. I think that it's – I think that the – I don't know, the um, inference uh, and how they show you that – spoiler, he dies at the end. I think that's what makes – like it's it's classy. Because, you know, like, oh, she's writing her little, she's getting his notes, and she's writing a note, but she's writing it in Chinese, and then the kid, and then, well, no, like. She, no, she was doing a protection prayer. Right. Oh, is that what she was doing? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's even that's Why would even she better. send him notes in Chinese? I don't know. He was in China. Anyway. He was in Korea. He was in Hong Kong, and then he was in Korea, and that's where he died. That's what I mean. Like, he spent time with her in China. Right. Right. Not important. Well, it is, but... No, I think they were in Japan. They were in Hong Kong, because it's the Chinese, it's the revolution. Then why Then why did they say, why did they repeat, like, you should go to China? They're already in China. Well, because they're in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is not part of China. Oh, okay. They're two different things. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, good. <laughs> Krypton, boom. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I, I see what you're saying, as far as the last seven minutes go. It doesn't matter that... You know what's going to happen. You just matter. It just matters how they get there. And while I will agree with you to an extent, I feel this movie does quite a bit of whenever it kind of gives you a problem mm -hmm. or gives you something that could become a hindrance in their love. They spend time and show you and show you like the reasonings like them going to China to go visit her family mm -hmm. and how, you know, he, he asked her to marry her and she's like, yes, but we have to, we have to ask my uncle first. Also, you're married. <laughs> right. But mm -hmm. I, that, you know, they were separated. It wasn't like he was cheating on his wife. They were, they were separated for years. Potato, potato. But yes, I understand your point. You know, th apparently this was at a time you couldn't just get a divorce that's correct 1955 so um so there so there was that issue she is a widow mm -hmm. um and she's like i'll never love again mm -hmm. and then she loves and then the guy dies she, hopefully never she never loves again at this point yeah right i would feel bad for any guy that she becomes elvis costello yeah don't tell me what it's all about you know that song no, but I think I see some of your action figures ready to oh, jump no. again. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you get when you fall in love? You don't know that song? No. I'll never fall in love again. No. Watch Austin Powers 2. I've seen Austin Powers then 2. Then you know that song no, because probably. they dance to it in the street. If you say so. They definitely do. People write so, it and tell Palmer he's wrong. <laughs> Academy Rewind. <laughs> Jennifer Jones is really good. William Holden is really good. The... The surroundings look gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. I like the hilltop scenes; like those the, are very yeah. well framed and shot, and all of that. I like. I also like. This is a movie about a woman who's a doctor in like 1950s. It's true. I, I like. She is in a very, she's in a very prominent place as far as like a job goes. That's true. 
Although the uh, the male doctor was not a good actor at no. all. <laughs> so on, look in the mirror, points at mirror. <laughs> like, <laughs> tell me what you see. Like, oh my god. And then she started singing Reflection from Mulan. Uh, nope. No, she didn't. No, she did. No. In she, my version, she in, does. That's strange. See, that's why I can't trust your opinion on the film, because you change it in your brain. Right. So when I remake it, Love is a Many Splendor Thing. With the Mulan music. Oh, my God. You know, what a strange world you live in. Anyway. It's great. The great la- I like the smash. Going back to the end, I like the smash cut. He's like, type, type, type away, you know, as you do. <laughs> exactly. And then he's like. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, look, there's a bomb. There's a bomb. And then it smash cuts the falling red paint, you know, on the white carpet, which I think is worse than him dying. Like, how do you clean that in 1955? <laughs> you, uh, you just have to get a whole new carpet. No. So. Um, soap. Baking soda. No, sparkling, sparkling soda. Mr. Sparkle? Yeah. Yeah. What do they call, what do they call like the, <laughs> club soda. Club there we soda. Go. Nailed it. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, what, are, what do they call like that soda you get at a club? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hmm, interest. What kind of club? Tell yeah. me more. No, so I, I definitely see your your point on that. I think like the movie's like it's fine and and but that last bit is what pushes it to Oscar nomination. I think the movie is more than fine and I think as far as the other movies except for maybe one go as far as like love stories, this is the most fleshed out love story. Sure. I would hesitate to call Marty a love story though because it's not really a it's more about it's more about like a life change as opposed to them being in love, you know? So I would actually, all right. So if we it. don't, if we take Marty out, then this is the most fleshed out love story. Yes. Because Mr. Roberts is not a pick, love story at all. No. Rose tattoo is not. It, it is a love story. He's, he certainly loves her potentially in the wrong ways. Most likely. Definitely. But she also loves him. Yeah. But also probably for the wrong reasons. Definitely. Most likely. But still, a love story, technically, if yeah. you want to put it that way. And then Picnic is, that's basically what Picnic is. Yeah. Yeah. But is anyway. It, is it, though? <laughs> well, you can tell me about it anyway, <laughs> if you'd like. And to my point, fun facts. Yes, fun facts. Jennifer Jones, who was married to studio mogul David Olselznik at the time of filming, complained constantly during the production, often yelling, I'm going to tell David about this. After complaining about William Holden, the two stars barely spoke to each other on set. Finally, Holden tried to make peace, offering Jones a bouquet of white roses. She tossed them back in his face. Wow. Yeah. So she's real happy how the movie turned out then, isn't she? Probably. Yeah. She's like, good, get your just rewards, (laughs) William Holden. We're really killing him, right? Yeah. And then then he's nominated for two films. Yep. (laughs) In one of the more... In one of the most classic examples of camera point of view editing, the hilltop love scenes were cut between Repulse Bay in Hong Kong from one direction and a hill on the Fox movie ranch in Upper Malibu, California from the other. Wow, that's the same, such good editing. The same ranch was used for both the film and television series MASH. Huh. Wow, that is really good editing. Yeah. I'm very impressed. The film is based on a true story recorded in Dr. Han Suin's autobiographical novel, A Many Splendored Thing. The journalist, Mark Elliott, William Holden's character, is based on Ian Morrison, a British correspondent who had an affair with Dr. Han in Hong Kong. As depicted in the film, Morrison was killed in Korea in 1950 while covering the war there. Wow. It's interesting that it's based on... So the film is based on her novel or her nonfiction piece, her memoir, but the movie doesn't claim to be based on a true story. I think that was back before they really used that as a... Say based on a true story. Yeah, used that as a selling point. Because it's really even her name. They call her Suyin and you know yeah. whatever else. So, Mr. That's Not How Love Really Is, apparently it is. Well, sort of. So you notice that her book is called A Many Splendored Thing. And Hollywood added the love is a many splendored thing. Well, yes, because so because uh, is a many splendored thing is a horrible title. So, but but maybe maybe it's not big quote based on true story because of like the way they chose to bend the story and how she 
like how events really went down and things like that. There's only one way to find this out. You have to read the book. No, I guess you we, have to read the book. I think we, we both have to read it. Otherwise, we won't believe each other. You do a podcast about reading books, so you should just read the book. Yeah, but books that I already also listen to read up, everyone. Um, but but I also don't want to add books that I don't want to read to my list. I don't want to read that book. I do so much for you and ask for so little. You do nothing for me and ask for everything. Yeah, that's how friendship works. <laughs> let's talk about your... You did uh, your fun facts already, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, that was great. three. Great, okay. Let's talk about Picnic, directed by Joshua Logan, written by Daniel Taradash, based on the play by William Ng, starring William Holden, Kim Novak, Benny Field, and Cliff Robertson, a.k.a. Uncle Ben from the Tobey Maguire movies. Oh, nice. Yeah. I know, I had to bring that in for you. Nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Robertson, Director, and Music. It won Best Art Direction and Best Editing. Yep. No. I'm going to let that sink in for a little little bit. No. (laughs) No, I don't think it did. (laughs) Anyway. I don't think it was actually nominated for anything either. No, this movie is about... A small townsfolk in Kansas, and this drifter comes to town, and he's like, hey, I'm going to get some. Anybody got some work to do? I'm William Holden. I'm 38, but I'm supposed to be 21. Uh, Was he actually supposed to be 21? He was definitely not supposed to be as old as he looked in this film. Because... The contrast between this and Love is a Many Splendid Thing is ridiculous. Well, yeah, because she looks older. I mean, they're both they're both adults. He's in age appropriate. They're age appropriate. Right. I don't know what age anyone is supposed to be in this movie. Um, one of them is supposed to be like twelve, and that's the one he go- takes out on a date. Yeah, and that is super creepy. I wouldn't see in. I would argue that it's more like somebody dancing with a little kid at a wedding, where they're like, "Go stand on my shoes. You know, it'll be fun. You know, do 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 do." do. That that was the impression that I kind of got from it. It was a date. Yeah, I I think it was. And then he broke her heart. Yes, he did, because she was a child. That's Susan Strasberg, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah. Anyway, nothing. I forgot. You need to know who that is. I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you who the actress is. Anyway. She so was great. Drift, she was great. She was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. She was. She was Cut out the rest of the movie. She was just. This, just she, her. Was, she was splendid. Yeah. yeah oh, whole. and. Um, and. Um, Flora. Slash the fairy godmother from Cinderella as the I old lady. I knew her voice sounded familiar, yep. as soon as, and I couldn't place it. As soon it. as I heard her voice, I'm like, what Disney movie is she from? And she's from like uh, half a dozen. Right, because that's the age where they just reuse the same actors. Right, because I believe she was also the, um, she was the aunt in Lady and the Tramp, I believe, who mm-hmm. has like the Siamese twins. Oh, yeah. The, the Siamese cats, mm-hmm. rather. Yep. But yeah, she plays... Flora in Sleeping Beauty. She plays the fairy godmother in Cinderella. Oh, man. That makes me feel better. Make it was it like that, that was an itch I didn't even know that I had to scratch. It was just, but in the back of my brain, I'm just like, ah, good. I don't have to think <laughs> about that anymore because clearly it was working. Anyway, this movie is so melodramatic for no reason, and it was a waste of my time. Wow. I mean,. I was going to say... Actually, the picnic was kind of fun, and Susan Strasberg was a delight, but the rest of it was bogus. <laughs> Susan Strasberg was really good. She reminds me a lot of... Um... Me? No, mm. not even a little bit. That's good, she, actually. I was going to say, she kind of reminds me a lot of the lead character in To Kill a Mockingbird. Scout? Scout. Like, the way she, the way she's presented. Yes, that's a good... I. Hear my overalls and my right. read my book and you know right. I'm gonna go outside and you know it's get, run around and so on and so forth. Yeah, like I don't I don't dress I don't dress like the typical girly girl. Right, but I'm but I'm still I still want to be loved. I yeah I still want to be loved and uh, that's not a scouts thing, but yeah. But anyway, uh, n- no. But I feel like that would be like the next part of scouts mm. movie of journey. It's possible. So. That being said, Susan Strasberg is really good in this. My biggest issue with this movie and is the love story. And that's because the love story that's there between William Holden... Betty Novak. And Kim Novak. Kim Novak. And Kim Novak 
is completely fabricated and made up. Like they spend oh. no time together. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> If you're here to criticize a completely fabricated and made-up love story, then I need to call out every <laughs> single love movie that you no, like from no, the past history of cinema. The difference is, in all of those movies, they at least spend time to be able to say they have a connection. These two really don't. Like They spend like 30 seconds when he first shows up. And then at the picnic, he's like, I love that girl. And she's like, I love that guy that I didn't talk to ever. It's just, yes, I agree. This is how I feel about all of the movies. But that's no, because this is the movie where it happens. And in the other ones, when there's actually connections and meaningful emotional connections that you just completely bypass because you hate love. No, I don't. I don't disagree. Won't double negative. That's tricky. <laughs> I I don't wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I will not argue that a lot of those films, those characters share connections. I think that's absolutely true. There's a lot of chemistry that happens in those films between characters, but there's a difference between chemistry and love, and that's my that's why I have a hard problem calling it like it's just like. Like slap boarded. This is what love is. Like it is. No, it's not. Romeo and Juliet. They're not in love. They're very infatuated with one another. And I think Juliet's die. in love with Romeo. No, I don't think they. They. They're not. They don't. I think that they. They're baseline infatuated with one another as like as deep as they can go. Yeah. But I don't. But that's not re. That's not real love. That's not love that you work for. That's not. You know, love the choice of love. That's just like you, my feelings. I'm a teenager. You know who you sound like? The Duke in Moulin Rouge, where he's like, "I will spend money and give her a home." That's real love, not this frivolous, heartfelt emotion you speak of. I mean, you're paraphrasing, but no, no, that's kind of what he says. But he's also he is pro- he's the villain. He's providing. You're, you're the villain, Tim. <laughs> you're the villain of your own story. That, I mean, I won't argue that either, but <laughs> I think there's there's a blend of those things in which the Duke doesn't have one half and then Christian doesn't have the other half in Moulin Rouge. They need to blend themselves together. And Satine doesn't have, you know, life. Like I was going to say, <laughs> a, a pulse. Like, yep. I don't, got her. <laughs> anyway. We, we've jumped ahead a few episodes to just to just review Moulin Rouge because Picnic just not that good. <laughs> Could you do your fun facts for Picnic? Because I'm actually done talking about Picnic. The the actual Picnic stuff when them like where they're like eating the pie and stuff like that. That was real fun. That was a, I will say yes. A the, great. That was a great ten minutes. <laughs> I would even say, like, the picnic stuff where, like, they're drinking on the dock away from everybody. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, that stuff was good. And William Holden's pretty good. He, but it's the love, it's this quote-unquote love story. He's too old for the character he's supposed to be. And yeah. it's very disconcerting. But he, William Holden's not a bad actor. No. He's just too old for what we're looking at. Yeah. William Holden didn't want to do the dance sequence with Kim Novak, fearing it would make him look foolish. He told co-star Cliff Robertson, I just don't know how to dance. Hoping to persuade the studio to cut the dance scene, Holden insisted being paid an $8,000 stuntman premium. To his surprise, the studio paid up and Holden was forced to do the dance scene, although he was allowed to do it under the influence of alcohol. In that scene, he is actually intoxicated and it still remains one of only four movies he ever danced in, the others being Sabrina, Dear Ruth, and Sunset Boulevard, and one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Wow, that's crazy. So he somehow maneuvered his way into getting an extra $8,000, <laughs> and he got to be drunk yep. at work. You know, I don't I don't feel like doing the Rewindies this episode. I want another $8,000. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Go ahead and get it. I, my cut is 20%. <laughs> uh, Columbia Pictures wanted to promote Rosalind Russell for an Academy Award nomination, 
but the actress refused to be placed in the best supporting category. Many felt she would have won had she only cooperated. That is, I'm assuming, the school marm? Make it blue. Yes, yes, it is the school marm. Yeah. No, in, or is that Betty Field? I don't know. I'll check. You okay, talk. Okay, you do that. In 1957, a marketing investigator... Marketing, yep, marketing investigator, James Vicari, announced that for six weeks, he had included subliminal messages in showings of this movie. The messages supposedly said, eat popcorn, drink Coca-Cola. According to Vissery, the sales of this product... The sales of this product increased from 18 to 57%. Even though his experiment led to fame, Vissery never gave details on how he came to the conclusions and admitted in a later interview that everything was just a marketing trick. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Rosalind Russell was Miss this, Sydney. Okay. Yeah. Which makes sense. She was good, too. She was good. Oh, I hated her, but she was good. Well, yeah. You're supposed to hate her. You're supposed to hate her. Well, sort of. You're supposed to feel like get her, I think, by the end. But maybe not like her, but get her. Well, yeah, because she's the, she's the one who causes all the trouble. Doesn't she, though? Yeah. What a scandal she yep. caused. She did. She was like, he got that young girl drunk so he could take advantage of her. And everyone's like, that's true for reasons. <laughs> that's true, even though we were never here. No. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, it's two hours of my life. I'll never get back. <laughs> Mr. Roberts, directed by John Ford, Mervyn Leroy, and Joshua Logan. You really needed three directors for this movie? Yep. Well, you'll see. Written by Frank S. Nugent and Joshua Logan, based on the play by Thomas Hagen and Joshua Logan. So it's just the writer in the back going like, I wrote the book and the screenplay. I'm going to direct some stuff. Action! Action and stuff. Action, 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 action. Anyway, starring Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell, Jack Lemmon, and Betsy Palmer. Movie was nominated for Best Picture and Best Sound Recording. It won Best Supporting Actor for Jack Lemmon. In the waning days of World War II, the United States Navy cargo ship Reluctant and her crew are stationed. Ah, I get it. Get it? Yep. Are stationed in the backwater areas of the Pacific Ocean. Trouble ensues when the crew members are granted some liberty. Get it? Because America. No, but anyway, this movie was hilarious. This movie was really good. I was actually just talking about this at work um, because my bo- my owner loves old movies and loves like, mm-hmm. w- especially like old war movies and whatever. Sure. This isn't necessarily a war movie. This is like war movie adjacent. Yeah. Like it takes place during World War II and they're like, hey, there's a war going on over there, but. We're not. Well, we're having there. some shenanigans on yep. a boat. Soup, um, soap suds. We, yeah, yeah. we we hate our uh, we hate our captain. So that's the story we're telling. Mm-hmm. And you have um, Henry Fonda, who's like, I want off this boat and to get over to the fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, and I, I will say, uh, the first twenty minutes or so of this movie, whenever I saw Henry Fonda. All I could think of was the line, it's possible. And it drove me crazy. I'm like, what movie is that from? 12 Angry Men. Because that's what he keeps saying. Oh, it's, it's like, possible. it's possible, isn't it? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I just want to check. Yeah. Um, Henry Fonda's really good in this. Uh, Jack Lemon for his scenes, is good. And is a different Jack Lemon than I'm used to seeing. Yeah, he is, I think, much in this movie, like his, the energy that he exudes in this film is, yeah. I mean, he's supposed to, is like off the wall. And so he, when he's much, he's much. But I also think when he lands it, he lands it. So yeah. it like his exuberance, over exuberance makes up for maybe a very thin story in its own way. Yeah, because like you just read the thing and like the whole Liberty thing mm-hmm. is like five minutes of the movie. That's correct. Yeah, it's this not, movie's this movie's just uh, is about two hours. Yeah, it could have been a clean ninety minutes. Um, it could have been. I don't think you need the. I don't think you need the side story with the nurses coming to the boat. It doesn't play well anymore. I think like the guys with the binoculars and everything like. I'm not that. even talking about that. Like that. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying what they did was right. 
that is but like that being in the movie mm-hmm. is fine like it's it's showing like them trying to find a way to distract themselves right but the the story of the nurses coming to the boat getting a tour and then leaving mm-hmm. like you don't need it no no i i agree it um, could have just been the guys on the boat and if if those if those scenes would have led to something else mm-hmm. then i would agree that it's worth it but the you know that's 15 minutes ish so on a and you're right this movie's plot is kind of thin that being said like the the performances make up for it and i would really wholeheartedly recommend this movie and like i love i don't know if i've seen cagney in other movies before like obviously you always know the impressions of people mm-hmm. give of him so you know the type the type of movie he's been in and this wasn't one of those he's usually painted as like the gangster he's yeah, a, the, he's playing against type yeah. a little bit here um and he's the captain like i really liked his performance like i was i'm actually surprised he didn't win over jack lemon i don't even know if he was nominated so i would agree with you like jack lemon's a little much at times but when he has a reason to be it, it's great. When he doesn't, it's a little like, all right, like... Calm down. Get, yeah. Go away. I think because everybody else in the movie is fairly calm. You know, right. Henry Fonda is calm in every film. Yep. You know, and it just kind of, it moves it a little methodical that way. I think it, it has a little bit of fun commentary on the military at the same time. You know, it, like, you know, the idea of the guys in the upper offices not getting what the guys on the boat are actually doing. You know what I mean? Like the, the upper, the higher up in the ranks you go, the less disc, the, the more disconnected you come, you mm-hmm. become from your fellow officers and, and things like that. I think that played well in the fifties. You're only 10 years after you're only 10 years after world war two and you're in, and you know, the Korean war is hovering all around you. So I think, um, I think that stuff, strikes a nerve in 1955 and 1956 then then it probably then we would think about today yeah which is maybe why it gets nominated or there just weren't a lot of other good movies out there at the time well it's funny because usually on a boat usually on a movie on a boat you have two you have two typical storylines you have the boat you know the crew the crew is very connected Mm -hmm. they're in battle and they're they're facing they're facing battle and they're facing imminent danger or you have like the entire ship is trying to overthrow the captain right and this isn't this is really like the crew being very angry and bitter at the captain because he doesn't let them go on liberty regularly correct and he's always coming down on them very hard for no reason but it's not like they're sitting there going, we need to mutiny. Correct. Like, they're taking it, but they're stewing about it. Right. Well, it is comedy, too. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't... I don't want to see mutiny on the bounty in a comedy. Well, maybe I do, actually. Uh, it would probably work. Mutiny on the... Whatever Fourth of July. Is. <laughs> mutiny on the reluctant. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't have a great ring to it. No. Anyway, let's do some fun facts. Okay. So, this is Mutiny on the Bounty, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Before shooting the scenes where Palva identifies himself and tells Captain Morton that he's been on the ship for 14 months, sir, Cagney realized that he would have to rehearse the moment Jack L- with Jack Lemon again and again so he wouldn't burst out laughing during actual filming. Lemon agreed, and when the scene was filmed, Cagney claimed that he was just barely able to hang on with a straight face even after all the rehearsal time. Like, you can even see Henry Fonder. You can like, see him, like, starting to break a right. little bit. Yeah. You could tell that everyone was having a super amount of fun. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. There are films wow. that you'd, you could... You'd, you'd be so wrong about that. Well, no, I mean, like, when in that... In that partic- scene? In that particular instance, okay. like the Suds scene, or, like, even, like, the guys on the boat with, like, the binoculars. <laughs> like, there was an energy to yeah. them that I liked. But, oh, tell me some fun backstory. When John Ford met James Cagney at the airport, the director warned that they would tangle asses, which caught Cagney by surprise. 
Cagney later said, I would have kicked his brains out. He was so goddamn mean to everybody. Wow. He was a truly nasty old man. The next day, Cagney was slightly late on set, and Ford became incensed. Cagney cut short the imminent tirade, saying, When I started this picture, you said that we would tangle asses before this was over. I'm ready now. Are you? Ford backed down and walked away, and he and Cagney had no further conflicts on the set. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. um, So everyone had a good time despite John Ford. Pretty much. Wow. That's a shame. John Ford was a acclaimed director. He was. Yeah. Although, I mean, so was Stanley Kubrick, and that, and he was much. He was. Um, there was actually um, an altercation, a physical altercation, between Ford and Fonda that essentially ended their friendship. Really? Yeah. Who started it? Do you know? Uh, probably Ford. Yeah. You never know. Henry Fonda just is too lovable. He's too mellow. Yep. If you get Henry Fonda riled up, you know you have real problem. The only thing he ever gets riled up about is when he's on a case for when he's on a grapes. when he's on the jerk. When he's wrathful for grapes. Right. Yeah. John Ford and Joshua Logan virtually disowned the film and Henry Fonda later claimed I despise that movie. Which is weird. It's a good movie. It's fun. Yeah. Although it's probably Henry Fonda said that, or John Ford said that? Henry Fonda. John Ford and the other guy disliked the film as well. Um, maybe because there's really nothing to it. It's very fluffy, so it doesn't stack with some of his other maybe more important work. Probably. I don't know. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, it was good. It's fun. It's nothing it's to fun, it. It's fun, breezy. Could have been 90 minutes, but oh well. Last film, best picture, Marty. Directed by Delbert Mann, written by Patty Chayefsky, starring Ernest Borgnine, Betsy Blair, Joe Mantel, and Esther Minisciotti. Minisciotti. There, I got it. Minisciotti. Whew, that was t- also Jerry Lewis. Jerry, Jerry Lewis? not Jerry Lewis. Jerry, Jerry Orbach. Jerry who you didn't Harris. Even, oh, I was going to say, Jerry. Who you didn't even know until I told you. He was not credited. He was not. So, how am I to know? Anyway, um, Jerry Paris played Dick Van Dyke's best friend on the Dick Van Dyke show. Ah. They were their neighbors. I can't remember their names. Probably Jerry. Anyway. Seinfeld? Seinfeld. He would, you know what? It's weird, but he, if you made a movie about Seinfeld, like retroactively going back in time, he would make a good Seinfeld. He would. He would do a good job. This movie was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Mantel, Supporting Actress for Blair Cinematography and Art Direction. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for Borgnine, Director, and Writing. It's about a middle-aged butcher, and by middle-aged, I mean 34, but but middle-aged in 1955. What happened to people in 1955? Anyone who's supposed to be like in their 30s look like they're in their 60s. 50s, they should look like they're in their 90s. I know. Ernest Borgnine was 38 when he made this movie. Yeah. And he's supposed to be 34, so he's not that far off the mark. But, but he, looks, he looks much older yeah. than that. But anyway, uh, anyway, so he has pretty much given up on the idea of love, and his mom makes him go to a dance for adults, like a club back in the day, a dance hall. And... Uh, and he's, he sees this woman, a teacher, who has also pretty much given up on love, and they kind of hit it off. And then their his friends are like, oh, don't hang out with her. She's no good. Come hang out with us. She's because... ugly. Yeah, basically is what they say. She's like, she's not that good looking. You ain't got no alibi. She's ugly. Oh, my goodness. And so and so that's pretty much that's pretty much it. He's like torn between. Actually, there's more to that. But he's torn between. You know, his aging mother and then his aunt is coming to live and then his, you know, his cousins are going through a rocky marriage. And, you know, there's all there's a lot of there's a lot going on in a very orderly and tight, tightly made film. Yeah, because this movie is only 90 minutes. Right. And a lot happens in the span of like two days, really. Yeah. Because it's like it's like a Friday night. It's like a Friday to Sunday, and that's yeah. basically the whole. That's basically the whole movie. Yeah, it was funny because when you because you saw this before I did, and you were like, "This movie is about your life," but it's not the A plot; it's the B plot. <laughs> that's right. So I spent the weekend 
you know, coming up with the various plots of this movie, you're like, no, not that, not that, not that. But it makes you realize how many plots are running through this right. movie. <laughs> There's just too many plots. You actually recognized and, the plot I was talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, great. And I feel bad. You know, you got you to gotta stop harping on this. One time, only one time, did I forget you in New York... One time, for the love of God, stop bringing it up. <laughs> That's not the plot I was talking about. <laughs> I've been looking all over for you. Where'd you go? Oh, well, I left to go on a date. Well, whatever. I loved how much they said mass in this movie. Like, <laughs> I got to go to mass. It, it, the whole movie, because he's an Italian-American right. from Brooklyn. But, you know, like, but the whole, but the whole time... He's like they're like they're like oh stay out it's only one a.m. I gotta get up for mass. They're like ma, you ready to go to mass? Oh, you know I gotta go to mass, but I'll call you after mass. Oh, ma, we're going to mass. Ma, come on, let's walk into the church. Let's go to mass. The whole movie was like every other line. I I like chuckled to myself. I was like ha ha ha. Nineteen fifty five. And like we don't say things like that in movies anymore. And. But, like, it just kept going. <laughs> it was great. I enjoyed myself so much. Anyway, this movie feels very timeless and very of its time all at once. Like, there's okay. the idea of, like, when are you going to get mad? You know, it's like my big fat Greek wedding, you know, and, you know, other things. You know, like right. this idea, like, I'm getting old. Will I ever find love? That's a movie we've been, that's, we have that's, a lot of movies. That's my about life. That. See, that's, I'm the A plot. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't want to be like, you're also the A plot. Yeah, I you're, you to discover... you're also the A plot, you loveless person. I, I wanted you to discover <laughs> on your own. <laughs> anyway, so, but I thought the juxtaposition of the stories about aging from different perspectives really worked. And that's where I was like, oh, this writing is really good because right. you have, like the happy single Marty alongside the angry married cousin Tommy, he's right? not really happy. Um, he he's content. He's not happy. He's content, or he's resigned. I won't even he's say resigned he, because, he's like, resigned. at the beginning when him and his friend are talking about it, mm -hmm. he or actually when he's talking about it with his mother, when his mother is like, "You should go to the Stardust Lounge," mm -hmm. and he's like. Why am I going to go there to get hurt more? I've been hurt too much. Yeah. Like that. Like he's very resigned. He doesn't mm -hmm. love being single. Yeah, you're right. But he's like, this is my life. You're right. So he's resigned. But then you have this like his mother who's like, go get Maddie, get Maddie, go find somebody. And he's like, okay, well, this is what I want. But then right in front of him is his cousin and his wife arguing over the mother-in-law right. right and like it's breaking their marriage apart and how they have to whisper around corners and like because you know she's in their business and their lives and it's tearing apart so like it's a weird like into the future look at his life you know like the mother's there and he's the only one that take care that takes care of her and then this woman comes along and threatens to tear that apart as you know it all so and i think it's it's all done really well and to think the movie kind of tricks you into thinking it's a romantic comedy, but it's really supposed to be a commentary about aging, about marriage and societal expectations in the 1950s. And, you know, that's why that's why I think it wins best picture, because it's not just what it's not just this. Oh, he's lonely and he finds mm. a girl. It's about all these other things. I also like how the the girl like fails the test right at the beginning with the mother. They're so like, "This much. is what's happening with my sister." Ah, young couple shouldn't have an shouldn't have the old lady around the house. Oh, like, I know. Oh, I, you know. I know. Oof. I was like, "That's the, that was the bad thing to say." Even if you don't believe it, don't right. say just, that in the first time you meet her. Right. You just agree. What is the matter with you? Yeah. Just agree. Just agree. You're right. Planet Nine from Outer Space Planet is, Nine a, great from, is a great movie. Ed Wood is an acclaimed director. director. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think it's better than them. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, so that being said, one of the one of the things I thought odd, and I refuse to buy what this movie's trying to sell me, is it seems like there's the there's the stigma that New York is the city that never sleeps. Mm -hmm. This is where that stigma comes from because they're like, it's one a.m. 
and people are walking about like it's two o'clock in the afternoon. All these shops are open. It's true. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, but it actually depends on what parts of New York that you go to. There are. I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is like even Times Square. Like, you walk around Times Square at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. there'll be places closed. Like, sure. this was, like, this was, like, the Hustle afternoon. But it was, right. like, Las Vegas, almost. Like, Las kind Vegas of, yeah. at 2 a.m. where everyone's walking and walking around. Like, right. we don't wake up till 2 p.m. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a little bit more. It was a little like that. But, I mean, if you go to the village at 2 o'clock in the morning, stuff's still out. A lot of stuff's still open. Right. It just depends on it just depends on what part of the city you're in. And they're not at well, I mean Times they're Square in the fifties. You don't want to hang out in Times Square in the fifties. Oh. You might. Not if you're interested into the seedier side of New York. Yeah. Well maybe I am. I know. <laughs> you don't know me. Actually I do. No, yeah, you do. Fairly well. I, I forget that. So much so that I watched Marty and I was like, Paul, we need to watch this movie. <laughs> You need to watch this movie for the one of the eighteen plots is about you. Yep, and it was great. Anyway, tell me some fun facts. Betsy Blair, who portrayed Clara, was almost not permitted to do the film by Hetch Lancaster Productions and United Artists due to the nineteen fifties Hollywood blacklist. However, she was on the blacklist. Yeah. Whoa. However, Gene Kelly, her husband at the time, basically blackmailed United Artists and Hedge Lancaster into casting her at the last minute by threatening not to direct or star in any of United Artists or Hedge Lancaster's productions if she was not cast for the role. That's crazy. That's actually crazy. Yeah. Good for Gene Kelly. The only time in film history that the producers spent more on a film's award campaign four hundred thousand dollars than they did on making the movie three hundred and forty three thousand dollars that is crazy they were like this movie's so good it's worth it i mean it i mean it worked they won five students from the film division of the of the university of california los angeles college of dramatic arts were going to attach themselves to the production of marty at the goldwyn studios and follow progress of the picture to its wind-up at the end of production the students were scheduled to shoot their own interpretation of a key scene using the film's cast and crew, which would then earn them college credit towards master's degree. Wow, that's cool. That is. I UCLA also don't remember. It. I also don't remember that um, that being the fun fact that I copied. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "What a." What, what a, a very odd fun fact. <laughs> but I was really interested. Yeah, no, that that was interesting. Fascinated um, by film school. This is also the the first American film uh to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Hmm. Not the first American film to win Best Picture at the at Cannes, Cannes Film Festival. Um, because they changed the name to Palm d'Or. Oh, I see. Uh it is also one of only two movies to win both that and the Academy Award for Best Picture, the other being Lost Weekend. Which is actually, you just spoiled something. Is it next? That's literally next episode. Really? Yeah. Go me. Wow, that is not the film that I thought was going to win either. That's crazy. Oh, you didn't even know what film won? No, I, I don't look it up until I don't look it up until I'm about to watch the films. Right. So, wow, that's in, that's insane. Anyway, good fun facts. Let's, I thought so. Um, since we're talking about it right now, I'll do it a little out of order. Next time on Academy Rewind, nineteen forty six, we're looking at Mildred Pierce, Spellbound, The Bells of St. Mary's, Anchors Away, and The Lost Weekend, which is the film that apparently won Best Picture. Oh, nice. All right. So here was the fun fact that I was actually supposed to say. Partway through production, United Artists threatened to pull the plug because other Hetch Lancaster films were over budget. According to Ernest Borgnine, the studio's accountants saved the film by pointing out that under new tax laws, they had to complete Marty and show it at least once before they could write it off as a tax loss. Wow. Yep. Good for those people. Yeah. Scored him an Oscar. Good for them. Well, good for them. Good for those people. Good for Burt Lancaster. Indeed. Nope. <laughs> wrong. 
Oh yeah, no, well, yes, yeah. he was the producer. I, I thought you were just going back to the rose tattoo. No, <laughs> no, not not good for Brett Lancaster there. Okay, great. So let's do some rewindies. Okay, Palmer. Okay, yay! Dun 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 dun. dun now, dun, of course, dun. the rewindies. This is your first episode. The rewindies uh, are our awards for the films for the Best Picture nominees. So we can only choose winners from the people involved in these five films. It's a very prestigious award. We mail it out to the recipients. Whether they're dead or alive, we mail it out to them. (laughs) Just leave instructions to put it on the tombstone. That's correct. Best Actor. And the winner is? Ernest Borgnine for Marty. He was excellent. He was. He was so so excellent. Um, Yeah, Ernest Borgnine. Excellent. Okay. Best actress. Uh uh Jennifer Jones. Jennifer Jones for Love is a Many Splendors. Love is a Many Splendors. He was nominated, but I'm gonna give it to Anna Magnani for the Rose Tattoo. Because okay. I felt like she, she felt like a real person. Yeah. And that's so important. Best supporting actor. I would give it to James Cagney. James Cagney. Uh I'm gonna give it to Jack Lemon for Mr. Roberts. Same film, different yep. person. Supporting actress. Uh, I would give it to the younger sister. Susan in... Strasberg for yep. Picnic. Picnic. Yep, that's yep. the same one. Yep, I agree. Cinematography. Love is a many splendor thing. Love is a many splendor thing. I would agree. Cinemascope, baby. Yeah. You can't beat it. Well, you can beat it now, but no, then you, no, you couldn't can't. beat it. Then you couldn't beat it. There were no special effects, <laughs> unless you count that bomb getting dropped in Love is a many splendor thing. Throw it like a dart. Yeah. So, um, production design. Also known as art direction in this era. Oh, well then, I would say Love is a Many Splendor Thing. I'm going to agree with you. Love is a Many Splendor Thing. I think it was beautifully looked in film, Mm -hmm. and I count costumes in that little production design. Best music, otherwise known as music. Um, I would probably say Marty. Marty for best music because of yeah. all the dance hall stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love, I I really like Love is a Many Splendor Thing, but it is only one song. That's true, but I'm actually going to give it to Love is a Many Splendor Thing because it was a good song. It was. And, and I, if this was best song, I would give it to that. Yeah, but we don't do that. Anyway, best writing. Um, I would probably say Mr. Roberts. Best writing for Mr. Roberts. Good, yeah. Good jokes. Funny. Yeah. Everyone Good laughed. joke. Everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. Hugh Rimshot. Yeah. And best picture in the best picture for 1956 goes to... Love is a Many Splendor Thing. Marty. No, no. Love is a Many Marty. Splendor Thing. One more time. Love Marty. is a Many Splendor no. Thing. See, I win every time because no, my you title don't. is much shorter than yours. Which Marty. means I keep going, so that's the last thing no, people remember. No. The first, the, the first person who finishes, no. I think I get over the finish line before you, because your splendid thing is trailing behind you. Look, I wanted to dislike "Love Is a Many Splendor Thing" because it has a hyphen in the title. Yeah, you do eight hyphens. <laughs> that's why Superman is better than Spider Man, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna give it to Marty. I think I think that it's a deceptively complex film and it is and it's well and even though i'd say like the cinematography and in some ways actually the editing is better for um love is a many splendid thing although actually i think the editing is better in marty but um that all of that together those are components that work in in some weaker aspects of the film where marty is strong in every to me is strong in every category if not the best it's the strongest in every category right. coupled together i i see i think marty is a nice cute film and enjoyable and certainly re- rewatchable but i believe love is a many splendor thing is technically better than marty in many aspects and i don't I don't really see Marty just like beating it in anything. I don't think grander films necessarily equate to better films, and that's where I will okay. Stick I mean, with Marty, yeah, I can see what you're saying, and you're right. Like, Love is a Many Splendor Thing is a is a grander scale to to a certain extent, but that doesn't mean like just because something's grand doesn't mean technically it's better. 
I think yeah, the, that's, that's I think correct. Like the technical the technical aspects of the movie are better, and then overall, I just like the story more. Yeah, so it just comes down to personal. In narratives. this in this instance, it's like I would watch Love Is a Many Splendor thing again before I watch Marty, but I'm not saying I wouldn't rewatch Marty. Yeah, that's probably I would say I I'd have to you'd have to coax me into Love Is a Many Splendor thing, but I would just rewatch Marty because I found it fun. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's certainly I don't think it's one of the best films that we've we've looked at in that in this era but i i quite enjoyed it right so anyway there you go next up on academy rewind i already said the films but in case you forgot 1946 mildred pierce spellbound which is directed by alfred hitchcock the the bells of saint mary's anchors away which is a musical starring gene kelly and frank sinatra and of course what we now know as the best picture winner the lost weekend which is really not the one that I thought was going to win. Well, you don't know until you watch it. I'm pretty sure. Well, for us, sure. Right. Yeah. Obviously, it's going into the Bells of St. Mary's. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I've never seen that. I have seen it. I know it's, a, it's seen... a Christmas movie. New. Is it? No, yeah. I can't remember. It's like he comes, to, the priest goes to the school. He's like, get your clothes because it's terrible. And, and they're like, no, sister act. And that's Right. And they're like, no, Santa's coming. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that at all. Maybe I haven't seen it. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Sister Act. Probably. That Sister sounds Act. like something. Sister Act 2. Yep. Back in the Habit. <laughs> back in the Habit. I think Back in the Habit should be added to all sequel titles. No, that should be Dark tar, uh, dark Territory. Dark Territory. From uh, Under Siege 2. <laughs> Finding Nemo 2, Dark Territory. Yes, it works for everything. It kind of does. So, do you know why this episode is so special? Is it our 100th episode? It is not. Oh, okay, great. Then I, I have no exactly. idea. This is the last episode you're doing as a single man. It Woo. is. Woo. Which by the time this comes out, I'll be married. Right. So this is essentially Thus is proving. your bachelor party. Thus <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. This is how bad your life is. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So, but thus proving that I don't hate love. No, you do. Well, that's going to be an awkward. It's going to be an awkward <laughs> wedding then, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it could work out. <laughs> your confidence, me. Your confidence in me is astounding. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, no, no, no. I fully believe, like, you're, just, like, whether you hate love or not, like, this is what you're gonna do. So, <laughs> <laughs> I have decided. This is yeah, what I'm I have going decided to do. that I'm gonna get married. So, so yeah. I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, that's good. God, you know me so well. Yep. No. <laughs> well, anyway, you can find Palmer. On Twitter, at Academy Rewind, which I have nothing to do with, so don't blame me for Palmer's weird opinions. My correct opinions? No, that is not correct. Anyway, you can also email us at academyrewind at gmail.com, an email we never check. So if you've emailed us, we're sorry. <laughs> Look, we might have lost the account password. <laughs> Possibly. And I can't just forget password, click button, whatever. So you can also find me at TimothyPG13 on Twitter. You can find all other Thought Bubble audio shows at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com and you can rate and review us on iTunes and find us other places podcasts can be found as well as heading over to Patreon.com slash audio to support all of the Thought Bubble audio shows for as little as a dollar a month, just $12 a year to get access to early episodes and unedited tidbits and other things and so forth. So, Palmer, this has been lovely. Timothy. <laughs> Thanks. So, mm-hmm. You're so formal today. But that's fine, though, because I think they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank. Well, that's too bad. Bye. Bye.